The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. You probably know Progressive Insurance for insuring your home and auto. You may know Flo and Dr. Rick. But what you may not know is that Progressive helps employees support over 3,800 charitable organizations annually because we're committed to helping our employees, and our employees are committed to helping others. Anyway, we just wanted to share. We were a little too proud of it to keep it to ourselves. And if you already knew all of this about us, you've either heard this radio spot before or just randomly know a lot about Progressive. Find out more about how we're dedicated to our customers and communities at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates based on data from May 2020 through April 2021. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verderam alongside Josh Hill, as always, and it is finally Super Bowl week in the NFL. We're recording this on Monday night, so a little later than normal, actually right during uh, the media interviews in Minneapolis. And so, Josh, uh, let's just get right into it. The Super Bowl, the Eagles, the Pats, we touched on it a little bit last week, but what are you most excited about going into this matchup between these two teams? Really, the most exciting thing, for me at least, is the Nick Foles narrative. Like, the idea that here's a guy who really was overlooked in his MVP campaign year. In fact, it was 2013, whatever yep. that was. He went to the Pro Bowl. He's you know, phenomenal in Chip Kelly's offense. And then he completely falls off the face of the earth. And he's he's right back there again with the Eagles. You've got... He's like the guy who sims through an entire season of Madden, and then he just jumps right into the playoffs. He's back. It's, it's like it took him all of this time to get to the ultimate goal of what he was trying to do that one year. And, you know, I feel good for him. You know, I don't think that they stand much of a chance against the Patriots just because they're the better team. They're, much, you know, they're, they're better coached. It's, it's, it's fun, though. I like the Nick Foles narrative, and I hope, you know, it's, I don't think it's going to go anywhere especially because somebody, somebody's going to pay him in the offseason. That's, that's, to me, the thing to watch here is just Nick Foles. His revenge tour is – it's arrived. You know, I never thought I'd have a Nick Foles revenge tour. But, look, you know what? <laughs> I agree with you, to be fair. Uh, he's played really well. He played incredibly well in the NFC title game, well over 300 yards passing, three touchdowns, and, and, and he was the driving force in that game alongside what was a dominant performance by the defense as yeah. well. I mean, you went 38-7. You played well in all phases. Um yeah, listen, I'm I'm very interested to see if Philadelphia's front four can get to Brady without having to blitz because that is how the Giants beat New England twice in the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. They were able to get pressure with Justin Tuck and Osu Minora and, of course, Michael Strahan the first time around. And so if that can be replicated, then all of a sudden I think you have a very intriguing game. I actually think that the matchup is very solid because Foles, look, if things go well for Philly – Foles doesn't have to win this game for them. He yeah. can just simply be a caretaker. He can go out and go, you know, 21 of 30 for 225 yards and a touchdown. He doesn't have to go out and, and take over and dominate the way he did in the NFC title game. Sure, they love that. It yeah. make life a lot easier. But if Fletcher Cox, Chris Long, Derek Barnett, Brandon Grant, they can get home. And I looked up some stats on Pro Football Focus. Um, between Graham and Long – and I want to say that Long ranked 7th and Graham ranked ninth over the course of the regular season, uh, they had the best pressure rate of any 4-3 defensive ends in the league, 7th and ninth, respectively. So what that means for anybody who maybe isn't aware is just simply uh, that the percentage of times they got pressure when they were rushing the quarterback. So, And in Cox, by the way, uh, I believe was 5th in the league for interior defensive linemen. So they get a lot of pressure. The question is, can they get to Brady before Brady gets rid of the ball? Because you know it's going to come out quick. New England knows that Philadelphia has a good rush, and so that's going to be the game of cat and mouse. Can Philly make him hold the ball long enough that that front four can work? Yeah, look, 
to me, what the, the Eagles defense is the most exciting part of this team because there's nothing on the offense. The Nick Foles narrative's cool. It's fun. But outside of that, Jay Ajahi, I don't know. He doesn't really set me on fire. Elshon Jeffrey, we'll see if he shows up. Zach Ertz, we were talking about this off the air, is the most exciting offensive player in the team. And it's rare, even these days, you know, with Rob Gronkowski, for your tight end to be the best offensive player. You have to be really good. And I don't, you know, no disrespect to Zach Ertz, but he's not Gronkowski. He's not Travis Kelsey. He's, not, he's a little bit, maybe you could argue a third-tier tight end, but he's your best offensive player. So to me, this is going to come down to the Eagles. What, what can they do on defense to stifle the Patriots? And I don't know. I don't know if they have it. Like everybody, everybody said the same thing. You know, they have to be careful when they blitz. They have to get pressure up the middle. They have to do all that. And everything you can come up with a brilliant blueprint, uh, blueprint to beat the Patriots. But it's one thing to say you can beat the Patriots, to figure out how to beat the Patriots, and then to actually execute that plan. And we've seen. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. In that time and time again, both, you can go back to the Super Bowl last year, and you can go even to the Jaguars game two weeks ago. It's a lot harder to beat the Patriots on the field than it is to identify how to beat them in the film room. So that's, to me, it comes down to coaching. Bill Belichick, fantastic, legendary, Hall of Fame head coach, is Doug Peterson the type of guy who can outcoach him because that's what it's going to come down to. We saw Doug Marone two weeks ago was throwing the kitchen sink at Belichick and he was kind of doing what the Chiefs did in week one where it was establish the run game, get that going early, and use it almost as a decoy to then start moving the ball through the air. And I, I wonder if Doug Peterson, who did coach in, in Kansas City, I'm sure he's watched that game, I'm sure he's watched all of the ways that the Patriots can be beaten. Can he implement those plans? Which, again, a lot easier said than done. Well, for me, when you play New England, you better have multiple game plans within your game plan because New England is the best team in football, has been for almost 20 years, being able to adjust. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we saw that last year in the Super Bowl. Atlanta was absolutely taking the Pats to the woodshed, and it's 28-3. to Now, to be fair... That normally is more than enough, even against New England. You're up 28-3 to in a game, you ought to be able to win. Okay? Yeah. That, that was every bit as much on Atlanta collapsing as it was on New England being great. But New England figured out as that game wore on how to stymie Atlanta's front. Now, New England also ran a, a ton of offensive snaps in that game, well above 80, um, which is, which is you know, highly unusual. Usually a team gets around 70 at most. Um, and so that helped to slow down that pass rush. But in this game, the Eagles can't have one thing that they say, okay, well, we're going to go with this, you know, whether it be a stunt that takes advantage of a certain offensive lineman or it be, you know, one specific blitz that they think would work against Brady. Uh, they, they have to have almost a quarter-by-quarter plan to vary it up and almost expect, okay, if we do this, this is how New England is going to try to fix it. And then we have to attack another way and counter. So I think if you're, if you're Philadelphia, you almost have to come up with, with two, three game plans within this plan to get ahead of Belichick or at least stay even with him. Because once New England figures you out, it's simply a race to the end of the game. And you have to just hope you have enough points and you, you know, you've gotten enough of a lead when you were maybe having the upper hand in the chess match. We saw it with Jacksonville. You just mentioned, look, Jacksonville started out that game, played great for three quarters. Mm-hmm. They're up 20 to 10. Well, all of a sudden, as that game wore on, that pass rush wasn't getting home as much. You're getting a little tired out. And the Pats started to figure out how to beat that defense. And once they did, it was over. Fournette was bottled up. They, they brought another guy down to the box. They dared Bortles to beat him. They, he couldn't do it. And it was ball game. There was just enough time for New England to come back. So... Philadelphia is going to have to figure out how to readjust once New England makes their initial changes offensively and defensively. And I think if they can do that, have a great chance to win. But of course, that being said, that is a very hard thing to do against any team, let alone the New England Patriots. So it's been established that 
you know, the Patriots are the overwhelming favorites here, not only because the, the Eagles have been underdogs this entire postseason run thanks to the Carson Wentz injury, but because they're the New England Patriots. They're going for title number eight. They're going for history. They're going for – there's so much riding on this. So is there a way to approach this where the Patriots need to think, how do we beat the Eagles? Because we've seen teams – this postseason even, like the, not to say that it's a similar situation because I think the Patriots, they're always much more well-prepared. But we saw with the Steelers, they were so focused on how they were going to beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship game that they forgot that they had to beat the Jaguars. So is the, are there, what are the things that the Patriots, you know, what, what, what can they do? What can they look at Philadelphia and say, you know, this is a weakness that we're going to exploit this is something that I see. What have you seen with the games against uh, Atlanta and against Minnesota that if you're a Patriots fan, you're licking your chops? You know, I think look, you, you have to say if you're, if you're rooting for New England, I think the, the answer is Philadelphia does not have great corners. Now, Ronald mm-hmm. Darby is, is, I would say, an average corner, maybe a good corner at best, but, but nobody who you're saying, we can't throw at him. You know, he's not Jalen Ramsey. He he's not uh you know Marcus Peters or, or somebody of that ilk. He's somebody who certainly uh can make a play, but but you're not worried about going to that side, especially for Tom Brady, yeah. right? And so the other corners uh I would say are even below average. So if if I'm New England, I'm looking at this game and saying, Okay, they've got good safeties, they've got really good linebackers, they can bracket Gronkowski as well as anybody can. But I'm looking outside in this game. I'm looking at Amendola. I'm looking at Cooks. Okay, and I'm looking at Cooks a lot. Like, this is why you brought Brandon Cooks here, yeah. to make plays in games like these. So, uh, I'm thinking that, look, if we can protect, they're going to have a long night. And I, and I feel that way uh, in my bones. Like if, if Brady has any amount of time in this game to throw the football, he's going to have a gigantic game. They do not have the ability – to match up on the outside. And Schwartz, the defense coordinator for Philly, he knows it. Yeah. They have – now, the, the trick is with Brady, though. The trick is it's easy to just say, well, then we should just blitz. You blitz, you're dead. Yeah. Because then at least one-on-one matchups across the board, and he knows that, and he is going to win some one-on-one matchups, even if you have pretty good coverage. So you have to be able to get pressure quickly with that front four, drop seven, and get some success out of that. And look – the way the Chiefs, the Chiefs have probably given New England as much trouble as anybody the last handful of years. Every time the Chiefs have played them, they have dropped seven and eight guys, and they've flooded zones, and they have forced Brady to sit in that pocket, and it's worked. Now, the Chiefs also have you know different defensive personnel, and they play a little bit of a different scheme. Chiefs are three four team, so it's not exactly apples to apples here. But the point remains: you have to be able. To get them, but if I'm a New England fan, I'm saying, look, if we keep a tight end in, maybe we keep in our best blocking back, you know, Burkhead, and we and we can give him three seconds, we're going to win the Super Bowl because I don't think Philadelphia's offense is built to get into a shootout. I know they scored mm-hmm. 30 against Minnesota, but they scored 15 against Atlanta. Like that NFC Championship game was a perfect dream scenario. I would not expect Philadelphia to score more than you know, 23, 24 points in this game. So. If you start to get into a game where you're giving up points and you think Nick Foles is going to beat Brady in a shootout, God bless you. I, I think if you're a Pats fan, protect Brady. And defensively, look, you don't have a big pass rush, but I would jam up that box and I would let Butler and Gilmore work one-on-one on the outside. You let McCourty roam over the top, maybe give a little cover three look, sometimes go into cover one, uh, and let Chung help out on Earth. I think that's probably your best-case scenario. I think it's a winning scenario. Speaking of the defense, if you're Nick Foles and you're the Eagles, this you, you're coming off of a win where you beat the best defense in football, a historically good defense on third down, and you roasted them. It wasn't even close. And I guess the first the first observation, I guess, what, would you say that that is more of a failure on the Vikings, or do you think that that's more of the Eagles? They've finally figured something out, and this is an offense that's clicking at the right time and is going to go in against a admittedly weak. Patriots defense because everybody's coming around and saying oh Matt Patricia turned that defense around look at what he did he got so good at the end of the season that's because it was so atrocious at the first half of the season everybody says oh yeah he fixed it 
first of all, you had to fix it. That's a problem. And secondly, it's not that fix. It's just a little bit better than it was. So is there anything on that defense that if you're Nick Foles and the Eagles, you're looking at and you're saying, ooh, this is this is the key. If we can get if we can exploit this, maybe the defense can take care of business. Yeah, I, th- I think, look, Belichick always is great at taking away somebody. And I think he's going to take away Ertz in this game. I think he is going to bracket him uh, or the linebacker and Chung and maybe even occasionally roll McCourty down onto him. And I think he's going to tell Stephon Gilmore, there's a reason we paid you, you know, $13 million a year. Okay, you're going one-on-one with Alshon Jeffrey and Nelson Aguilar in this game and Torrey Smith. You're going to have to win. And I think Malcolm Butler is getting that same talk. Okay, like You're going to have to man up on an island and play good, sound technique f- football. And I, I think they, they can, and they will. I think they, look, if, if I'm looking at that matchup, I feel good if I'm New England. Now, that being said, if I'm Philly, I feel really good about my matchup with my offensive line against their front seven. Look, I, there's no other way to say this. New England's front seven stinks. Okay? Dunta Hightower is a very good player, but he's not there, hasn't been since midseason. They don't have anybody else. Trey Flowers is a nice player on a lot of teams. Like, let's be honest. If he was on Philadelphia, he's a rotational spare part. Okay, he's their best guy in their front seven. New England is not built to deal with the front that they're going to get in this game against Philadelphia. Philly, even without Jason Peters, has a very good line. You got Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson. I mean, they they can maul you up front, Brandon Brooks. So, I, I fully expect... Jay Ajahi and LeGarrette Blunt to run the ball and run the ball a lot. The only thing I'm worried about is, is Doug Peterson comes from the same school of Andy Reid. Mm. And, and if Peterson gets into one of those Reidism moments where they decide to throw the ball 40 times, they're going to lose. They need to run the ball between the tackles. Don't get cute. Just just pound the ball, especially on short and, and second and short and third and manageable. I, th- I think that's probably the best way to go. Uh, and then hopefully for you, that sets up the play-action pass. Maybe at that point they can't double Ertz because Chung's got to come down and play the run. So for me, it's critical in this game that the Eagles can identify that weakness and run the ball well early and run it inside because Ajahi and and Blunt are not built to run outside. No, and uh, speaking of Blunt, Bill Belichick is, is classic at this, at signing somebody's player whether it is or whether it's not to get inside information, that's like his thing. It's, you know, we saw it with James Harrison. He comes in, everybody's like, oh, well, he's bringing the Steelers playbook with him. On the flip side of that, LeGarrette Blunt has been with the Patriots in and out over the years. He's won Super Bowls with them. He's done a lot of things with them. If you're the Eagles, does he offer any kind of insight? Because everybody was talking the other week about, oh, yeah, Tom Coughlin's beat the Patriots before. Doug Moreau needs to go up there and needs to figure out the blueprint on how to beat Belichick and the Patriots. If you're the Eagles, is there anything that Blunt knows? Is there anything that Blunt can tell you that is going to help you? And not like playbook X's and O's things, more like preparation things. Because to me, the value of Blunt in that scenario is how do they prepare? How do they approach the situation? And more importantly, how do you get everybody in that locker room to approach the Super Bowl, quote-unquote, the Patriot way? I think that you know, there's a lot of underrated things about the Super Bowl that people are not focusing on. And I don't know if that's going to end up being a major X factor. But we talked about if the Vikings were hosting the Super Bowl, it's all about... They'll be able to sleep in their own beds. They'll be able to drive to the game with their wives. They're going to be able to play with their kids on the Saturday before. Turns that, out they can still do all those things. They're going to do the things exactly. They're not going to play on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, and that's something that you know we'll, we'll settle them in. Is you know to me, maybe I'm wrong. You can you can comment on this, but the, the blunt factor here is so important from the standpoint of he's been there and he's been there against the guys that you're going up against. You know, and don't forget to Chris Long. Chris Long, boat. yeah. Um, I don't think you're wrong. I don't subscribe to it as being a huge advantage. I think, you know, you can get a lot of that on tape as far as, like you said, the playbook stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a little bit of you know, maybe some gamesmanship of, hey, you know, what kind of stuff were they doing at this time last year? Or how, you know, like you said, preparation. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. You know, what were some of the things they did that maybe were unorthodox that you thought really helped out? Was there a certain day they gave you guys a little rest that you thought really helped the team? 
I think stuff like that can help. I don't think it's necessarily a gigantic advantage or something that's going to make a huge difference in the game. But any little thing helps, especially when you're uh, the four-and-a-half-point underdog in the game. Uh, but look, I think the best thing with Blunt and with Long is that they have the experience. Philadelphia does not have a lot of Super Bowl uh, expertise. Okay, Now, Peterson, uh, he, he's been there uh, twice before and he was with the Packers as a player. Uh, as a backup to Favre, but you know how comparable is that? I, I don't really know. I don't think very. Um, Malcolm Jenkins was there when he was with the Saints. Um, obviously, long and blunt with the Pats. So I, I think that is probably the best thing uh, for them that they can get out of that. Is just maybe talking to the younger guys. Like, hey, look, we've been here. We know what this is all about. We know what to expect. You know, because there's a lot of pressure in the Super Bowl that goes along with the game that people don't realize. Like, hey, you got to get tickets for family. Mm-hmm. You got to book hotels. Get now, yes, the team will take care of a lot of that, but those guys are getting bombarded by people they haven't heard from in 20 years. Hey, can you get me a pair of Super Bowl tickets, buddy? Like, that kind of stuff that the Pats are used to every year. At this point, the family probably is going to go to it. They're so bored with it. Right? So I think that may be being able to kind of mentor those guys through these couple of weeks. I think that's probably the biggest. Uh, portion of, of of that that they can they can take and, and use to their benefit yeah and james harrison said that he makes people pay <laughs> if you're in the harrison family you're only going if you pay him back for the ticket Good for him. you're gonna argue with him i'm not arguing with james harrison at all everybody's asking the bench is like 600 pounds i'm not getting involved with that yeah i'm I, yeah i don't think you can blame anyone for wanting to get involved with that we'll get to our predictions in a little bit but before that let's Kind of, you know, an, a variation of what's the story hopping around the NFL. And, you know, there's only two teams in it. So 30 other teams, 30 other fan bases are trying to find something to look at right now. I, as a Bucks fan, have been doing it since about week three of the season. You, as a Chiefs fan, you know, have been doing it a little, little, little shorter than I have. But we're both in the same spot, and so are a lot of teams. And one of the biggest storylines heading into the offseason for free agency is going to be Kirk Cousins. Where is he going to go and where is his future going to lead? A lot of people think maybe he goes to Jacksonville. Does he go to Pittsburgh and replace Ben Roethlisberger? Is Cleveland an option? Arizona, maybe. Does he go back to Washington? So, Verderam, what's the story with Kirk Cousins right now? You know, we're about to enter February. We're a month or so away from free agency. A lot of things are going to change. But right now, reading the tea leaves, where do you feel like Kirk Cousins could go and where he should go? Well, First of all, Cousins is 29 years old, and he's coming off three consecutive seasons of 4,000 yards and at least 25 passing touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So he is going to get an unbelievable sum of money, okay? He's going to be the highest-paid player in NFL history because not only are, are, are one or two teams going to offer him a contract of that size, probably half a dozen teams. Um, now, you mentioned some teams that might be an option. I don't see it with Pittsburgh unless – I mean, Roethlisberger – He's already said he's coming back next year, unless he just didn't about face or something. I, I don't think that he's going. You know, I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, but see, the cousins. This isn't a situation, obviously, where he's getting traded, so he can pick wherever he wants to go. So I think that kind of takes out some of these teams. You know, the, the Clevelands, the Jets. Look, yes, could one of those teams offer him some absurd amount of money, even from the standards we just talked about? Yeah, it's possible, but in reality. You know, the, those top-end offers are probably going to be pretty close, and the biggest difference might be guaranteed money and structure. Um, so I look at a few teams. One I look at is if Jacksonville cuts Blake Bortles, and we I feel like we talked about this every week, but oh, if, yeah. if, if they move on from Bortles, to me, if, I'm, if I am Kirk Cousins, that is number one on the list. That team has a great defense. Okay, they can run the ball. I'm a little concerned about the lack of weapons maybe, but – you can fix that. You can you can add a piece here and there. Um, another team that has already said it's going to be heavy in the market for a veteran quarterback is Denver. John Elway has been very aggressive in free agency throughout his time there. Of course, he signed Peyton Manning. Uh, look, I wouldn't be shocked. The Broncos have always had a good reputation as a place you want to play. Um, the, the question now there, though, is they've also always been a very good team. They're not right now. Now, one could argue if they get a quarterback that, hey, you know, we're right back there. I don't necessarily believe that. They don't have a good offensive line. Demarius Thomas is a potential cap casualty, and even if he's not, he's getting more toward the, the twilight of his career. 
Uh, you have Emmanuel Sanders and not a whole heck of a lot else or offensively. So I don't know if I'm Cousins that I want to take that risk playing for a defensive-minded head coach who's on the hot seat already. Um, but to, to, to surmise, look, I think Jacksonville, I think Arizona is going to be right there. Um, now, I think Minnesota is really fascinating. Like If mm. Minnesota moved on from Keenum and Bridgewater – that would be a hell of a spot, That's right? You're in, you're playing indoors. Thielen and Diggs. You got Cook, you know, coming back off the torn ACL. You've got a great defense. Like that's a great situation, but I don't know that Minnesota is going to move on from their trio of quarterbacks. So I would think that they probably go with one of their own. So my handicap would be Arizona and Jacksonville would would be the favorites, with Minnesota being that potential dark horse. So I think Denver's involved. Um, but Denver is going to have to wow Cousins because they just have more holes in those other teams. Mm-hmm. So I think even Arizona may be rebuilding, but Arizona, I think, could, could turn around quickly. Denver, it almost fe- Denver almost feels like they're in the middle of trying to figure out if they should rebuild the team yeah. or if they're just trying to kind of piecemeal it to get back to being 10-6. and six. Mm-hmm. That's a dangerous game. You know, we've seen teams do it before. We've seen the Bengals have been doing it for a long time, and – at some point, you know, that end comes. You don't want to be there when it, when it is. Quick tangent on the, on the Broncos. I had a thought today. I was talking with one of our fan-sided writers on the news desk, and a thought occurred to me of just how significant that Falcons-Broncos Super Bowl was in 1998. And we were talking about, you know, whether or not that Broncos offense was really that good and if the Falcons defense was really that bad. That Minnesota Vikings offense in 1998, had it gotten to the Super Bowl – very easily could have put up 48 points on that Broncos defense. That, that, it could have been a killing. And if that happens, if the Broncos lose that Super Bowl, does John Elway, what's his legacy like? Does he eventually come back as the vice president of football? Does he come back? Are they in the position or are they now? Do, are they able to go out and then get Peyton Manning? Does Peyton Manning still come, but he's still there? Maybe he's you know not playing, but maybe he's that vice president of football operations guy. So just kind of like the butterfly effect of you know what happened. You know everybody's talking about that Vikings team, man. The the missing ring. We've all seen the documentary. You know the missing ring for that Vikings team. But the the effect, the ripple effect that has on the Broncos. You know I yeah. don't know. I mean, first of all, those missing rings documentaries by NFL Films, you've well, never fantastic. seen them. You should watch them. They're incredible. I think there's five of them. I wish they did more. Um, as a Chiefs fan, I really enjoyed the 69 Vikings missing rings. <laughs> um, in any event, uh, sorry, sue me. All right, it's been almost 50 years. <laughs> uh, so, look, as far as Elway goes with that, just to touch on it quickly, I, I think, I think, yeah, even if they had lost, like, I still think he'd be in that spot just because – he led them to five Super Bowls. He's, he's yeah. the best player in the franchise's history by a mile. He's so iconic. Uh, now, now, to me, the, no, the more interesting pros would be if you lost both those Super Bowls. Ooh. If you lost to Green Bay, then he's 0-5. Yeah. Then how is he viewed? Is he mm-hmm. viewed as like basically Jim Kelly, who's certainly a great player, and Buffalo fans adore him, but it, you know it's different when you've got the jewelry to go with it, mm-hmm. right? So that to me – because like I look at it like, like Marino – Marino's weird because he only he only got to one. Mm-hmm. I almost feel in some ways it's worse historically if you get to like four or five, like a talking territory, you just keep losing because <laughs> then it almost sticks with you that like you, you were just a loser, which yeah. is, which is unfair because you got to the Super Bowl that many times. Like that's an incredible accomplishment. But I don't think it would have changed. I think Elway still would have been where he is. And and you know I'll tell you what though, uh, Denver has not drafted a player that has made a Pro Bowl for it since, I believe, since 2011. Wow. I mean, time's come. Like, at some point here, you got to start drafting better. And the reason I bring that up is is to, you know, go full circle on the Broncos. Um, there was a conversation at the Senior Bowl where John Elway was talking to the media, and he said, look, you know, we have the ammunition if we want. We get a veteran quarterback, mm-hmm. and we can get uh, a guy in the, in the draft. And, so, and they have the fifth overall pick. Now, you know, going down the, the list here uh, real quickly using uh, Pro Football Reference, which is a great guide for anybody who ever wants to uh, go through and, 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 and get some real deep knowledge in the NFL. I mean, truly, it's, it's uh, an incredible it's resource. Um, but, look, the last time, and I was correct, was, was 2011 when they drafted Julius Thomas in the fourth round. 
that is the last player that they have drafted that has made a Pro Bowl for that team. Now, Malik Jackson made it, but he only made it this year with Jacksonville. Mm. So you start looking back at these last couple of years, and they just they can't draft. And it's I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are in free agency. That comes to roost. I mean, now look, now this class is only a year old for them, okay? So let's be fair with that. But last year, the Broncos drafted eight guys. Garrett Bowles, Demarcus Walker, Carlos Henderson, Brandon Langley, Jake Butt, Isaiah McKenzie, D'Angelo Harris, and Chad Kelly. Did any team get less than they got from their rookie class? Mm, I, it's tough. It's brutal. I mean, it's apt, it is brutal. That is you have to get more than that, especially for a team that could use young talent. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think they're going to be showing on Cousins uh, because they have other holes to fill with that fifth overall pick. I know Eloy said they could go both, but let's face it, if they go with Cousins, they're not, they're not taking a guy in the fifth, with the fifth pick. Now, if they don't get Cousins, then I could see them going with like a Sam Bradford trying to get a couple-year deal, but it's really like a one-year deal package yeah. as a two-year, and then going and getting you know Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, whoever they like there at five. Um, and then also, I guess, at that point, you're closing the book on Paxton Lynch. The way I always talked about it, it seems like that's going to happen. Two years, first-round pick, trade up for him, and he's mm. out the door. That's a, that's a tough whiff. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I think it's interesting, too, with the quarterbacks. Like, where does that, where does that secondary crop go? Because Cousins is going to be the apple of everybody's eye. But yeah. then you have, like, Eli Manning sounds like he's staying with the Giants. Alex Smith. Jamie's log. Progressive. The Harrington's backyard. Day 27. 3.33 a.m. 3.33. All those threes mean something. Or I may be losing it. Been camped in the Harrington's backyard for 27 days now, proving that Progressive has 24-7 protection. They told me every day they understand what 24-7 protection means. Think I'm finally getting through to them. 3.33. Progressive doesn't just offer a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection. Just not literally from Jamie. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. It's going to get traded. So where does he go? Now, I don't think Kansas is straight up to Denver, although Mm -hmm. Denver made some incredible offer maybe, but I think that's a long shot. But then you have other free agents. Okay, if Blake Bortles gets cut, he just had a good postseason. Like some team is going to take a swing. I don't think they're going to offer five and a hundred, but some team will take a swing. Of those Vikings quarterbacks, Bradford, Keenum, Bridgewater, Two of those guys are hitting the market, mm-hmm. it, all of which have value to differing degrees. Josh McCown is an older guy. Does he get a starting job somewhere? Is he a backup? Uh, personally, is you know I, I think he'd be a great backup, mm-hmm. phenomenal backup. Nick Foles, he might he might get a starting job somewhere, you know, or at least get to compete for one. There's a lot of quarterbacks this year on the market. Uh, and, you know, we could also mention Breeze and Garoppolo, but they're not going to go no. anywhere. Breeze is not going out of New Orleans, and Garoppolo's either getting the tag or he's getting a long-term deal. So no point in getting into those two. But, uh, you know, there are some very interesting decisions to be made at that position. Really a very deep class compared, comparatively to what we see most years at the quarterback spot. Yeah, one guy, too, that we we didn't really mention that I'm not sure, you know, with Marvin Lewis coming back, I guess it maybe kind of seals it up. But we talked earlier about whether Andy or not Dalton. Andy Dalton would go and maybe reunite with Jay Gruden in Washington. That would be something I could see. Blake Bortles is going to be back in Jacksonville. He earned at least one more year. And as somebody who hates Blake Bortles as a football player, I I, it's a hard for me to admit that, <laughs> but it's going to happen. He's back for at least one more year. Uh, and I think that they maybe draft a Lamar Jackson in the back of that first round, or maybe a Mason Rudolph. Um, yeah, I, the, the secondary market's so interesting, but at the same time, there is, it's a lot like the head coaching class that we were dealing with this year, where who's go, outside of Josh McDaniels, who's going to be that big guy, that big name, that big fish? And it ended up being John Gruden for the first time in five years six years of, you know, expecting him to come back. I feel that same way about the quarterback class. There isn't really a guy out there where if you are, a, you know, I guess Jacksonville's a, a unique case here because I think they could go to the Super Bowl with a Nick Foles or somebody like that. But there isn't really, if you're Arizona, if you're some of these other teams, maybe even a Denver, I don't know if there is a guy out there that you're going to look at in that secondary market and say, yeah, he's going he's gonna to be the Band-Aid that we need. Sam Bradford's a nice idea, but he's playing bone-on-bone bone in his knees. Oh, like, hurt. come on, that's he's and it's a wild card. Maybe he gets three weeks in and he's done, and then it's right back to Trevor Simeon or whoever you have, or <laughs> Brock Osweiler. 
Um, there's just nobody on that market that really sets me on fire. And I, I, I just don't know. It's going to be Kirk Cousins, and then everybody's going to obsess over the draft. And as far as the draft is concerned, as a Bucks fan, something that concerns me is Sean Payton's growing affinity for Baker Mayfield and the idea that he could possibly try to trade up and find Drew Brees' successor in Baker Mayfield. And he'd have to go way up in the draft to get him. But who knows how crazy the, the, the Saints are going to be because we saw in that same division, the Falcons traded up. They gave away a whole draft to get Julio Jones, and now he's the best receiver in football. They've been to a Super Bowl with him. Year in, year out, they are contenders for the top prize. Yeah. So I don't know if the, if the Saints end up actually doing that. I don't know if Peyton has that kind of control. But to me, it, when I'm looking at these quarterbacks, it's the quarterbacks in the draft, and it's who's going to make a weird move. Because every year somebody does it. And I'm, right now, the Saints, they look like the, the kind of team that could maybe try to pull that off. First of all, the Saints... Uh, they were the franchise two decades ago to trade their entire draft for Ricky Williams. <laughs> yeah. And the Redskins oh, yeah. still the Redskins. didn't get anybody out of it. Oh, um, no. Listen, I-, I think the NFL is a league of trends. And mm. in my stack in the box, it goes up every Monday morning on fansided.com. Uh, now, my parting shot was about that sometimes spending crazy money, in fact, almost all the time in free agency, is a bad idea. Now, you know, Cousins is a very unique case, and I understand why some teams would do it. But is he worth that kind of money if you're Denver, if you're Arizona? I, I, for me, I don't believe that he is. Now, I also said that I think those are the best spots for him because I think those are the spots that are most realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, teams can always convince themselves, well, if we get him, we can add a couple of pieces. Look, I like Kirk Cousins. I think he's a good player. I'm in the camp that I think Kirk Cousins is a, is a good to very good quarterback. Kirk, Kirk Cousins is not the kind of guy who you're going to bring in there and he's going to just lead you to the promised land. Now, you put him on Jacksonville, I think it's worth the money. Yeah. Okay? So it depends on where you are in the scheme of things and your development. Now, you talked about the Saints. We saw a trend that I believe started last year with Kansas City and Houston. They traded up significantly to get quarterbacks. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the Bears technically also trade up. It was one spot. Okay. Houston went up from the 25th pick to the 12th. Kansas City went from the 27th to the 10th. Both teams gave up uh, a a mid-round pick and what ended up being this year's first-round pick for both clubs. Um, Look, I think that's something like – like I'll tell you one team I'd watch. Buffalo has two first-round picks, okay, because they got the one for Kansas City. They have the 21st and the 22nd. I could absolutely see the Bills – Moving on from Tyrod Taylor, who, by the way, would be another intriguing name yeah. in the market. Uh, I could see them trading up. I could absolutely see New Orleans trying to trade up because you saw the success that Houston and Kansas City both had. Now, Houston having more, obviously, Watson played much more, but Deshaun Watson looked terrific. And let's face it, that kid, if he's good, if he looks, if he is what he looked like in his rookie season, that, it's the franchise, okay? Patrick Mahomes played very sparingly, but when he played, he looked phenomenal. Like, if Patrick Mahomes is what he looked like in his cameo appearance this year, like, He's the franchise for Kansas City. That's it. Like you're set. Those two fran- if those two guys are as good as they looked in, in brief action this year, those two teams will be competitive and playoff bound for the next 15 years. That's the way the NFL works today. So if I'm the Saints, if I'm Buffalo, I don't care necessarily what it costs me. I know it's going to cost me a lot, but I'm moving up and I'm getting my guy. And I'm fine with that if it's at the quarterback position. I think it's foolhardy to trade up a lot to get any other position. Maybe outside of a total lockdown corner. But if if you can get a quarterback, if you think that guy's there, it's not even a question. And so I I think this year you've got Mayfield, uh, Baker Mayfield, you've got Rosen, Darnold, Allen, perhaps Lamar Jackson – Darnold is probably going number one. Some yeah. people think maybe Allen will, but my guess will be Darnold and Rosen will go in the top two spots. It'll be very interesting. The Broncos pick fifth. The Jets are sixth. Uh, you know, where do those guys fall? And are teams willing to to just give up the farm to get up and get some of those guys? You know, it, it, certainly, if, if you believe the NFL is about trends, and I do, that's one to watch. 
Speaking of trends, uh, something that teams in free agency like to do is identify a wide receiver and then go out and pay him gobs of money. Uh, you know, we, we've seen guys like, you know, Mike Wallace comes out of Pittsburgh. Uh, he gets didn't paid, work out so well. Didn't work out so well. And that, that's, that's the trend. That's the yeah. other side of that trend is that it never works out. So you take a look at some of these guys who were coming into free agency this year, most notably Jarvis Landry, who, you know, Mike Wallace went from Pittsburgh to Miami, flamed out. Now the idea of Jarvis Landry going somewhere and potentially flaming out is a possibility. But you also have some other guys, Allen Robinson coming out of uh, Jacksonville. There's some very intriguing wide receiver free agents. Is there a guy out there that you think there, you, if you're a team like Kansas City, who needs at least maybe another piece, or you're a team like Minnesota, if you can add another wide receiver to that offense, an already good offense, are either of those guys somebody you go out and say they're going to be worth the money? Or is it like the normal wide receiver free agency pool where it's, you know, buyer beware? Landry to me is fascinating because, look, he's had four years in Miami, uh, and and he's gone over the 1,000-yard threshold, I believe, twice. Mm. Um and last year he led the league in catches, but he didn't even have a thousand yards. Uh, first guy in quite some time to do that. So here, here's my problem with Landry. You're typically not getting the big play from him. He's a very good possession receiver. Um, and we talked a little bit about this actually, over, you know, last week, uh, just you know, off uh, off air, and said, you know, is it did Landry? Is he a great player on a bad team? Or is he a great player because he's on a bad team? And so they have, you know, they force feed him the ball because, well, it's him or it's Kenny Stills. Nothing against Kenny Stills, but he's not a number one receiver. Uh, I think Landry is going to make a ton of money this offseason, but I think he's going to do it on a team that he's a clear number one. Like, I can see the Bears being all in on him. Oh, yeah. You know, because they need to help out Trubisky. I I could see the Bears really going all in, uh, trying trying to land that top receiver. I think Jordy Nelson might get cut. He'd be a guy who I think some of these teams might be looking at. Now, as far as you mentioned, like a Kansas City or a Minnesota, those teams to me need more of the complimentary guy. Like, like Thielen is a great route runner. He can get open underneath. But, you know, he can also stretch a little bit. But Diggs is that deep ball, get down the field, go and get it type of player. Um, I think Allen Robinson would be a fit for either team because he kind of blends that. He's a very athletic guy. Um, he can get down the field, but he's also a technician in his routes. Uh, I think he'd be a good fit in Minnesota. I think with Kansas City, you know, whoever comes in is going to be the number three option in the passing game because nobody's yeah. going to supersede Hill or Kelsey. So Robinson, I actually think, is a better fit in KC only because, you know, with Minnesota, you've already got Rudolph, you got Thielen, you got Diggs. So he would be the number three receiver. Kansas City, he would be the number two wide receiver. You know, and then, and then, of course, Kelsey being, you know, the, the big dog at tight end. Um, but I think Robinson would be a very intriguing fit there. In fact, I, I think, uh, and I'll, I'll write a piece, I'm sure, here in, in a little bit, detailing which free agents could go where. I think that would be a really good fit on both sides. But Robinson might be the steal of free agency. If he can come back and be healthy, a couple of years ago, a guy had eight, I believe, well, last say two years ago he had eight touchdowns. The year before that he had 14, 1,400 yards and 80 catches with Blake Bortles. Like he can play, he's and he's twenty four. Yeah, he's only twenty four years old. Like you, you are getting him in his prime. So I think Robinson would be a steal. Uh, and Michael Crabtree, he'll be a free agent. I think the, the Raiders will cut him. Uh, he he's maybe not quite on that level at this point in his career, but still an interesting guy. He can go help somebody. We'll wrap up the uh, free agency talk here with this. You mentioned Allen Robinson leaving Jacksonville, perhaps, and how he is. You, if you are getting him, you are getting him in his prime. And there's a lot of incentive for Jacksonville to, you know, we talk about back up the Brinks truck for Kirk Cousins to bring, they also have incentive to bring back a guy like Allen Robinson, who doesn't, you don't want to leave a hole there. And that's, that's, that's something that people don't really consider when we talk about, oh, who is my team going to add to make us a Super Bowl contender? What you also need to look at is what is free agency going to do as far as ravaging some of these rosters? And, you know, kind of taking off these good players and putting them into the pool. So are there any teams out there, Vertoram, that you see 
who should be very worried about free agency. I see, you know, Tremaine Johnson's going to be a free agent. That's something that I think Rams fans are, should be worried about because I don't know if he comes back. I think he's going to get a big deal somewhere else. And I don't know if they want to pay him. Maybe they want to keep going young, draft his replacement in the, in, in the draft, and, and move on from there. Staying in that same division, Seattle. You, you could be looking at, you know, Sheldon Richardson's going. You could be looking at uh, Richard Sherman's going. You could be looking at uh, Jimmy Graham as a free agent. Yep. A lot of players on Seattle. Uh, you mentioned Allen Robinson in Jacksonville. There's a lot of players – in the, even in the in the uh, the Super Bowl here, the Patriots. There's some players that they that could yeah. be gone, especially if they win. Malcolm Butler, if he wins another Super Bowl and he's a free agent this time, Patriots can't trade him. They've reportedly been wanting to trade him since last off season. He has another good Super Bowl. He's a free agent, hits the market. Somebody's going to pay him big. Like we said, you want to trade up for a lockdown corner. You can also probably go out and sign one. So, are there any teams that you see? that should be concerned about free agency potentially derailing the Super Bowl run for next year. You can win free agency in the offseason. You can also lose it. Yeah, there's a few. Look, I think I think the Steelers, for one gigantic region, and that's Le'Veon Bell, they have to make a decision. Uh, they offered him, reportedly offered him, five years, $60 million, half the guarantee last year. It would have been a gigantic contract for a running back. He declined it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Look, the Steelers are an organization historically that has no problem telling people, okay, fine, you don't want our money, see ya. Mm-hmm. They don't care. Um, Bell's had some issues off the field. He's been suspended a few times. Uh, had a torn, I believe it was an MCL a couple years back. Uh, now, the Steelers, according to over the cap, and they project the cap to be at 178, which is a projection, but they're usually pretty close to spot on. Uh, the Steelers are one of three teams, Eagles and Chiefs being the others, who are over the cap right now. Now, the, the, the Steelers can open up some space, but not a ton of space. They can cut Mike Mitchell, unfortunately, maybe Ryan Chazier. But if you've got a tag bell, you're paying him $14 million. Now, let's say they cut Mitchell and they, and they move on from Chazier. Let's say that those two moves are, are fairly easy for them to make, okay? They would save about $13.7 million. So now you're $10 million back under the cap. Well, guess what? Bell's a $14 million hit. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. And you got to pay your draft class. Yeah. And you got to replace your other, you know, nine, ten free agents. Mm-hmm. You're in a tough spot. Like they are in a very, very tough cap spot. And you could cut Joe Hayden, who played well for you this year. That's eight point one million. So there you go. But Mike, you're still in a spot where you're barely even. And most teams like to have four or five million of wiggle room. Uh, Vance McDonald could be cut for four point three million. Point being, if I'm Pittsburgh, that's a significant salary crunch. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, I don't think they can tag Bell. I think it's either we have to sign him long-term or he is gone. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'll tell you, it's true. If I was Pittsburgh, as great as he is, at that position, I'm letting him walk. Yeah. And I'm hoping to get a guy like, a, like an Alvin Kamara, like a Kareem Hunt, in the draft, who can give you maybe 80% of what Bell's giving you at a, a minute fraction of the cost. So that's one team I'm looking at. I'm curious to see what they do there. Um then another team you get into, you mentioned the Seahawks. Paul Richardson's a, a, an emerging wide receiver. He's 25 years old. Mm-hmm. He's a free agent. Okay, Jimmy Graham is a free agent. Uh, Sheldon Richardson is a free agent. And then you talked about it. Look, Richard Sherman's not a free agent, but they may have to cut him. Mm-hmm. They, are, they do not have a lot of cap space themselves, $14.75 million. Yeah. Uh, Earl Thomas, he, he, I feel like, is almost getting to a point where he's like – baiting them to get cut with some of the things he's talked about. Show me the money. I want to go play for Dallas. Okay. Go right ahead, man. Uh, I know if I was John Schneider, I'd think about it. And then you've got guys like Cam Chancellor, Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, two of which might retire because of medical issues. Bennett might get cut. I think the Seahawks are a team to watch. The Steelers just because of Bell. Um, Those would be a couple. I'd be curious to see, too, Look with, with... the Raiders have been throwing around money like crazy for years. Yeah. Now they got $14.8 million. Well, guess what? Khalil Mack, got to pay him pretty soon, and he's not going to be cheap. 
So you got to pay him probably what's eventually going to be twenty million per. Mm-hmm. You're going to cut Crabtree. Do you cut Sean Smith? He played a lot better at the end of last year, and they're desperate for corners. They need help. But the Raiders, they could move on from a lot of guys. I mean, the, the good thing is with them, the way their contracts are, are they, they can move on and create space. I mean, Jared Cook, 5.3. Marshawn Lynch, 5.9. David Amerson, 6 million even. Crabtree, 7.7. Bruce Irvin, 8.2. Hudson, 8.4. Smith, 8.5. Okay, they can move on, but a lot of those guys are not going to move on from. Uh, and, and if they do move on from a few of them outside of maybe Amerson and, and, and potentially Lynch, you're losing something. They're not the deepest team in the world. So very curious how they handle that. Do they cut guys and add, add to free agency? Or do they say, hey, you know, we feel like Gruden can fix a lot of what was our issue last year? All right, Bertram. Before we get to our Super Bowl predictions, they're handing out awards on Saturday night. Who wins the MVP in your opinion? Is it Tom Brady or is there anybody that can can dethrone him? I feel like we're just yeah, everything that's been happening leading up to this. I know the playoffs don't count, but the Brady narrative is just so strong. And there, this year, it's been who else is there? I mean, Carson Wentz, yeah, maybe if he doesn't get hurt. I just don't see anybody that can dethrone Tom Brady. Do you? No, no, he's going to be the MVP. He'll win again. Uh, I think. I think that if Wentz had stayed healthy, there is a chance that, that he would have won because he was kind of that new kid on the block, the sexy pick. I know for a brief minute there it was all about Todd Gurley. Yeah. Todd Gurley was never winning the MVP. Tom Brady is going to win it. And i got to be fair, I think he should win it. Mm-hmm. I know people are tired of that and it's old and what. I, I think he should win. Um, so give him credit. Great player. Probably the greatest player to ever play at that position. I think he's, he's going to walk away with the hardware again. I think J.J. Watt wins the uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year. Pretty oh, yeah. tough to argue with what he did there, oh, yeah. you know, with Hurricane Harvey and all that. Um, and and well-deserved. Uh, really, really well-deserved. So, and, and I think really those, those guys who are up for that award, Benjamin Watts and Greg Olson, can't say enough about them. I think it's the best award in the sport, mm-hmm. um, personally. If, if I was a football player, that would be the one that would mean the most to me. So I uh, take that for what it's worth. But, by the way, just to wrap up a quick bow, one other receiver we didn't talk about that's free agent. Very interesting. I'm curious to see what he gets. Sammy Watkins. Yeah. Eight Ooh, touchdowns this year. $24 million. You met, or 24 years old, I should say. You mentioned the Rams as a team. Tremaine Johnson, you're right. They franchised him twice. Yeah. He's going to leave. He's going mm-hmm. to get top dollar. Um, and then Watkins. You know, the Rams traded EJ Gaines as a good corner who's going to be an interesting free agent himself. Do the Rams keep Watkins? Can they keep him? Because he, he was big for them in, in the red zone. He yeah. Eight touchdowns, that matters. So, uh, he's got to mention. But, yeah. But I, I think Brady wins MVP. J.J. Watt wins comeback play. Uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year award. Um, Sean McVay is going to win head coach. Or I, coach I would of the think year. so. Easy. Yeah. I think he should. Is there um, a case to be made for Doug Marone? Do you there's think? There's a case to be made. Sure. Sure. I just think McVay is just that kind of consensus you know, he, he really felt like he kind of turned the league on its ear a little bit. Yeah. I, th- I think he was more innovative, and mm-hmm. so you give him that. By the way, before we get to our picks, I want to say on, on Saturday night, they do uh, – they announced the Hall of Fame class. Yeah. And, you know, we we talked about that probably about a month ago mm-hmm. on, on the podcast. And so there's a few guys. You can go and look at the class. That are, they're going to get in, Ray Lewis being among them. Brian Orlacher, strong possibility. Um. Not to upset my current bosses, a fan side, before I worked here, I worked at SB Nation. And, mm-hmm. and uh, long ago, three years ago, I think it was, I talked to uh, Alicia Kramer, who is the daughter of uh, former Green Bay Packers guard Jerry Kramer. Yeah. And I, to be honest, I, I pride myself in knowing the history of the game. I always just assumed he was in the Hall of Fame. He was such a great player. I figured, of course he's in. He was the, you know, the iconic Green Bay suite, the Packers suite, everything. Well, he's not. Um, in fact, in 1969, the NFL put out an, an all- uh, NFL team for the first 50 years, 50th anniversary team, and they didn't even name two guards. They just named one, and he was the guard. They named him the best guard of the first 50 years in the NFL, and he is the only player from that team not in the Hall of Fame. Hmm. And so Alicia, his daughter, is, she, she's made it her life's work to get him into the Hall. Um, and she was gracious in speaking to me, and so was Jerry and, and Bart Starr. It was wonderful to, to write, and it was an honor. Jerry Kramer is up as a finalist this year for the senior committee. Jerry Kramer needs to get in the Hall of Fame. Like, that is a wrong that has to be righted before 
you know, God forbid the man passes away, he's in his 80s. I always, I hate when I see, you know, Kenny Stable getting in the Hall of Fame and he's dead. Yeah. I mean, that's a great honor for him posthumously and for his family, but what the hell good is that doing? Yeah. He's dead. Let him enjoy it. And so Jerry Kramer, come on. I'm, I, I hate these arguments about, well, there's so many Packers already in. Yeah. Well, that's because they were great. Yeah. They won five championships in seven years. I'm sorry. We're not going to fill the Hall of Fame with a bunch of guys who played for the Cardinals in the 60s. There's a reason that team won so many Super Bowls and, and, and NFL titles predating the Super Bowl. Like that, that team was great, and Jerry Kramer was great. He wasn't good. He wasn't very good. He wasn't romanticized as years went on. Jerry Kramer needs to be in the Hall of Fame because you know what? You can't tell the story of the NFL without telling about the Packers, and you certainly can't talk about that era of the Packers without talking about Jerry Kramer. So to me, I admit just from having talked to them and in full disclosure, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for him to get in. I have never gone to a Hall of Fame induction, but if he gets the call, I will, I will be there in August I just I will be so happy for the Kramer family, and I would just love to see that in person. And so, but that aside, the personal stuff aside, that guy deserves to be. He to me is one of two of the most egregious, ridiculous oversights. Him and Jim Marshall of the Vikings. How yeah. in the world is yeah. Jim Marshall not in the Hall of Fame? You kidding me? Jim Marshall's not in the, that. That is just ludicrous. But I will digress. But I really hope I hope Marshall one day gets in. He should. But this year, it's Kramer's turn. I hope they write that wrong because Jerry Kramer is absolutely a Hall of Famer. Yep, well said. I mean, the, these these guys that can't get in, like you said, they can't get in their entire lives, not just their careers, their entire lives, and then they get in after they're dead. And, you know, whatever you might believe or whatever, like, they're dead. Like, it does them absolutely – they're not up there giving a speech – we're not going to, you know, Kenny Stabler's not up there. We're not hearing the not, snake giving the speech, which would have been fantastic. Oh, man, the snake giving the speech would have been great. Um, yeah, look, Jerry Kramer, got to get in. I think, you know, Ray, we mentioned Ray Lewis is a lock to get in. Brian Urlacher's a lock to get in. Randy Moss should be a lock to get in. Yeah, we'll oh, see no We'll question. see how that plays out on, on, on Saturday night. All right, before we get into our Super Bowl predictions, we're fans, Verderam. We've watched the Super Bowl all our lives. What is your greatest Super Bowl memory? Now, I know it's not going to be Chiefs-related. Unfortunately, <laughs> it is not. <laughs> but what is your greatest? When you think of the Super Bowl, what do you think of? When, where, where's your mind first go? For me, as a Buccaneers fan, it immediately goes to 15 years ago. Actually, the Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl. You know, I'm, I'm sitting underneath the desk in a computer room in my house in Minnesota, and I'm watching Derek Brooks intercept that ball and take it back. And that's when I knew. That's when I knew they were going to win the Super Bowl. And I, you know, I was. I was still young at the time, and the Buccaneers have been terrible for every single year since then. But, you know, you hear these fans, you know, everybody, these, these uh, Patriots fans and Packers fans back in the day and uh, Cowboys fans in the 90s, it's just like, oh, man, I can't believe they're winning another Super Bowl. And it does get to a point where you're like, oh, man, we're here again. But for, you know, especially you and the Chiefs or like me and the Buccaneers and teams like who have been there only a couple of times – it is so special to feel that feeling, to know that your team, that moment of realization, that is such a, an organic and once-in-a-lifetime moment yep. to be like, I can't believe my team's going to win the Super Bowl. So for me, as we head into this Super Bowl, that is every single time the Super Bowl is mentioned, I think of 15 years ago, the Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl. What about you? What is your Super Bowl memory as a fan of the game? Um, you know, when I, was, when I was a little kid, um, I – as much as I was even a Chief fan when I was very little, uh, I was also, at the time, I, I kind of split allegiance. I, I was a Rams fan. I, I liked the uniforms. I liked the, the, the helmet. I thought it was cool. Uh, and they were awful. God, were they awful. Tony Banks awful. Oh, God. Um, who actually somehow ended up winning a Super Bowl as a backup. He even played a little bit in the game. For Accidentally. The but, yeah. Um, but, no, so for me, as a kid, when the Rams won the Super Bowl with Kurt Warner, it was just such an amazing story. You know, he comes out of nowhere. I remember they signed Trent Green. I was all excited. I was 11 years old at the time. And I was like, oh, you got Trent Green. They traded for Marshall Falk. They drafted Torrey Holt. Like, they're going to be good. And then Trent Green tears his ACL. And you say, like, season's over. I remember being so ticked off and upset. And my dad saying, ah, you never know. Sometimes guys come out of nowhere. And I'm sure he didn't believe it, but I was 11. So what else are you going to say? 
and they go on and they win the Super Bowl. My, my enduring memory, of course, is the tackle by Mike Jones at the yeah. end and that 73-yard rainbow from Warner to Isaac Bruce, mm-hmm. uh, who remains one of my favorite players this day. And a couple of years later, I kind of, you know, life takes over. I only had time to over for one team instead of two. My dad is a diehard Chiefs fan, so I went with, with them and, and have stuck with them ever since. But uh, always have a soft spot for the Rams. So that's my memory. And I got to say, one of my more recent ones was Malcolm Butler's interception. Yeah. You know, we were just, I remember we had, I had friends over at my, my parents' house at the time we were watching the game and, you know, we're saying, my God, they're a yard away and they've got beast mode. They're just going to pound the ball in. And it was one of those things you're watching in slow motion. I'm sure any Seattle Seahawks fan right now listening to this wants to just cry or is turning this off frantically. But I remember just watching him throw the ball and seeing Malcolm Butler and thinking, oh my God, he's going to throw it right to him. And, Give Butler credit. He made a great play. But that is – those two things in my mind when I think of the Super Bowl, those are the ones that just stand out to me. One, because of a, a personal attachment in such a storybook season, and the other because of just such an iconic, incredible moment. Um, and I just – and those two teams were just great teams. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like it was a year where you kind of got, oh, you got Rex Grossman in the Super Bowl. Like – those two teams were really good. It was a game that nobody really knew who would win, and that that game sticks out to me. But Super Bowl picks for Super Bowl 52, because we will not talk to you again until the day after. And by the way, if you're wondering, yes, we will have a podcast every single Monday throughout the year. Um, no days off. It, it will also be on Facebook Live, on, fan-sided, on, on the fan side of Facebook page, so please – Go to the fan side of page, like the page. You'll get a notification saying, "Hey, about to go live." It'll be it'll be every week on Monday afternoon. Um, still trying to nail down the exact time, but please go there, check it out. During the off season, the shows are going to go to a half an hour, um, but uh, once football kicks back, we'll go right back to our long format. But we'll pack in plenty, so you won't be cheated. So. Make sure to go to Facebook.com and like the fan-sided page. Okay, go ahead and friend me and Hill. We'll, we'll hang out. We'll be friends. Um, I'll speak for Hill on that one. <laughs> so, all right. Super Bowl 52, the Philadelphia Eagles, the New England Patriots. Who do you have and why? As much as I love to see the Eagles finally get a Super Bowl, for those fans finally get a Super Bowl, I just don't see the machine being stopped. It goes beyond, oh, man, the Patriots, they were losing to the Jaguars and they came back. Oh, they came back from a 28-3 deficit. Just the, and we talked about it at the top of the show, the preparation of that team. Custom Ink can help you recognize employees, show customer appreciation, and outfit your teams with your favorite products and brands customized with your logo. At CustomInc.com, you can easily make your mark on all sorts of products, including water bottles, backpacks, polos, jackets, and so much more. Make Custom Inc. your go-to business partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to custominc.com to get started today. ...is insane. Bill Belichick is psychotic. Tom Brady is psychotic, and that, that channels into them being unstoppable in these moments. They do not get this far to then go, oh, we have a little bit of a hole here. We didn't really pay attention to this. This is something that's going to be exploited. They play their tightest football right now. This is their season. And I just don't, you know, in 15, 20, 30, 50 years, we're going to be looking back at Brady and Belichick and saying, man, I can't believe nobody's ever been able to do that since then because it is so special. So I've got the Patriots uh, Eagles, it's a great story if Nick Foles is able to pull off the upset. I do think I will say that this is a vulnerable Patriots team. This isn't going to be a blowout by any means. It'll be a tight, close, and more importantly, interesting game for regular football fans to watch. Don't don't write the Super Bowl off. But I think ultimately the Patriots are going to walk away with this one, and we're going to be sitting here next week on Monday talking about the dynasty, living history, and watching it in motion. What do you have for a score? Uh, I'm going to go 28-24. I think it comes down to another another tight game like that. Okay. Uh, look, I got to say, I actually think Philadelphia is a good shot to win this game. I really do. That all said, I hate to be boring and predictable. I, I have to take New England in this game. You just 
they always win. You have to take them. I think the Eagles check a lot of the boxes that the, Gi- that the Giants checked the two times they beat them. The difference is I don't know the Foles can make the plays that Manning made. Manning, yeah. say whatever you want about him. He's been great in late game, big game situations, and in those two Super Bowls, he made unbelievable plays. Now, for anyone who says, well, Foles played great in the NFC title game, okay, and he did, that's fine, but that game was a massacre, okay? And, and, and partially because of how great he played, but you know, I don't know that he has a track record that says he's going to do that time in, time out, okay? I think New England's going to win because I just think Brady is going to find a way to win that game. Sometimes it's that simple. Sometimes it's not about X's and O's and scheme. It's just about one guy being that great. You know, you go back and look in the history of the sport, okay? 1988, the 49ers played the Bengals. Now, you look at that and say, well, you know anything about those two teams. Statistically, you know, in terms of talent, it was a mismatch. And it was, but the Bengals were very, very good that year. They went 12-4. and four. The Niners struggled. They went 10-6. and six. Um, They may not even made the playoffs if the division wasn't so bad that year. But the point I'm driving at is, Asias in that year won the MVP. The Bengals are great. The Bengals are outplaying the Niners that whole game. They're up 16-13. to 13. The 49ers get the ball back, okay, with, with a, I, I believe about four minutes left on the clock at their own eight-yard line. And Joe Montana, and I apologize if you already knows this story, but they're in the huddle. They're getting ready to, to embark, and they're going through a long TV timeout, as you will, in a Super Bowl. And Joe Montana is looking down the field through his huddle and just goes, isn't that John Candy? That's John Candy. And just that's what he was thinking about. Down four or down three in the Super Bowl, and he took them 92 yards and went right down the field and put it in the end zone. Sometimes it's just the greatness of one player, especially at that position, can just be overwhelming. So I think Brady, uh, I, I just can't pick against him, and I can't pick against Belichick. So I'll take him, and I, I have a very similar score to you. I was going to say 27-23. I, I think it's about what it is. Uh, but I think, I think when New England has to make a play in this game, they're going to do it. So give me give me them and and I'll leave it at that. Do you have any final thoughts? No, I just you know don't don't count out this Super Bowl. I know a lot of people have been hating on it and saying, oh, I can't believe that the Patriots are back. Oh man, I can't believe he's playing a backup quarterback. This is going to be a really good Super Bowl. It will. So be. really look for that, and you know don't be surprised if the Eagles pull this off. Don't don't be surprised at all. I don't think that they're going to, but everybody's going to be entertained by this game, and I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed come Monday morning. Uh, agreed. Well put. So, look, we're uh, at the hour mark. We'll leave it at that. Uh, for Josh Hill, I am Matt Verderan. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. Give us a like. Give it a comment. Uh, really appreciate any and all feedback. You can always find us on Fanside. You can find us on Twitter. Um, again, thank you for listening all year long. And we really look forward to going into the off season, Even though it's the off season. It's the NFL, so things crank up quick. Combine's right around the corner. We'll be talking draft. We'll be talking free agency. We'll get really deep into that. We'll start bringing back guests as we did during the beginning of this show. Got away from it during the season because there's just so much you can pack into an hour. But we'll get back into that. We'll be trying to have a weekly guest on, a national or uh, writer or somebody uh, who covers a specific team. We can kind of deep dive into that a little bit more. So... Don't forget, go to Facebook.com, go to Fansided's page, like it, and you'll get a notification. You can watch the podcast. It'll still be on audio recording as well, but you can watch it or you can listen to it every single Monday. So go to Fansided and enjoy all the Super Bowl coverage you will be getting from myself, from Josh, and from our entire wonderful staff. Thank you for listening and enjoy Super Bowl 52. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com.